Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. Hello there, and welcome back to the Sorkin Cast, or if it's your first time with us, welcome to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 32 of the podcast, where this week we are covering West Wing, season 2, episode 6, entitled The Lame Duck Congress. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com. That's the website for the podcast. It's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find contact links and podcatcher links. And if you would take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use, it would be very much appreciated. Always accepting feedback. I generally just do like one feedback episode for about every 11 episodes of The West Wing. Our next feedback podcast uh, will be... The week following the 11th episode review. And if you have any feedback regarding any of the first 11 episodes, feel free to send it to me by Tuesday, the 19th of April, 2016. And we can include your feedback as well as thanks for anybody who leaves reviews on iTunes uh, or Stitcher and such at that time as well. Also remember, it's never too early to start thinking about what your favorite and least favorite episode of Season 2 or your favorite or least favorite scene of Season 2 or main character of the same or guest star of the same. We include that in the West Wing Season 2 awards, which will be after we review the finale of Season 2. But you need to keep what your favorites and least favorites are in mind as we go along. And I can take those submissions anytime as well. How do you submit all of this stuff, feedback and these kinds of submissions for the West Wing Awards, you may ask? Well, you can send an email to sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call the listener line, 314-669-1840, or you can tweet at sorkincast with any thoughts about the podcast or about these episodes. That takes care of all of the stuff about the podcast. Let's start talking about the Lame Duck Congress, which is the sixth episode of season two. It was a story written by Lawrence O'Donnell Jr. The teleplay was written by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Jeremy Kagan. The episode first aired on November 8th, 2000 and was viewed by an estimated 18.5 million viewers. We go to geos.tv, that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, uh, to find out where this episode ranks among all of the other episodes of West Wing, and it currently uh, ranks 111th out of 156 possible episodes. And here is your episode summary as well. As the staff feels out the possibility of calling a lame duck senate back into session in order to ratify a treaty, a Ukrainian leader demands to see the president. And each and every week we also have a couple of segments up front before we get into talking about the meat of the episode. The first one is the walk and talk of the week. And this week's walk and talk is one of many, many walk and talks that were in this episode. I might comment about that a little more later. But this one is the first one 
that came during the teaser, which follows Josh and Donna and then goes to Josh and CJ and it ends with Sam. Here's that for you. You bet. Who's next? She walked into it. She knows it, too. Walked into what? She can't confirm that the president hasn't considered it unless she asks the president if he's considered it, at which point he'll have considered it. That sounds pretty stupid. It was a better organized thought when it was in my head. Is she almost done? She's wrapping up. Let's go. Has he considered it? No. Why not? Why should he? If he thinks he has a better chance of ratifying the test ban treaty with this Congress than the new he one. He doesn't. But if Morgan Mitchell's... Mitchell's not a factor. Josh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. No. Oh, shut. How do you change subjects so fast? Josh, I... I mean it. How, how do you go from a test ban treaty and a lame duck Congress to OSHA? Because I mean. Do you know how many people acquire carpal tunnel syndrome? It shouldn't surprise you to learn that I do not. 600,000 Americans a year. Do you have any idea how painful it is? Donna, in the scheme of things, who really cares? Do you have any idea how painful it is? Yes, 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 yes. Pain in your forearm, no grip. You lose the ability to pinch. People who lose the ability to pinch, I gotta tell you, I don't know from where they summon the will to go on. You guys are on the wrong side of this. Aren't you one of you guys? Not on this. CJ. I know. You walked right into it. There was no other direction to walk. Now, please, just answer no to this question. Has the president considered it? No. Good. Listen, not that I know of. Josh. He hasn't. Listen, what? He should consider it. He should consider it right now. Another feature that we have each week is some of the more humorous parts of the episode. We call those quick jabs because it's usually people poking fun at each other one way or another. Here are those for you. Like running the country with Barnum Bailey and his sister Sue. Mr. President, Cleo, would it be possible for just two of them to speak at once? An extraordinary occasion. Clearly, the success or failure of a nuclear test treaty would have made this hard to justify. Yes, sir. Could I have a couple of aspirin or a weapon of some kind to kill people with? Yes, sir. This is your office. Yes. It's very nice, Sam. Thank you. You can see sunlight, and you have a window that can be open for ventilation. You want to work, or you want to decorate my office? You call me. I need your help. Really? Let's not make a big deal out of it. No, it's sweet that you need my help. Don't need your help. I'm asking for your help, so let's not make a federal... Dad, it's me. Sam's asking for my help. Put the phone down. Gotta go, Dad. I need to help Sam. You must have had him rolling in the aisles back in Georgia. I'm from North Carolina. Wherever it was that you studied baton twirling? That'd be Harvard Law School. Yes, so here's the thing. And we have a winner. Are you kidding me? He's sitting in the car with a woman who I imagine is either a security attache or a hooker. Please tell me it's not. It's no one you know. It's kind of show up. Well, he had an appointment, just not to meet with the president. The guy's a little crazy, Leo. Nah, he's just, yeah, he's crazy, but he's our kind of crazy, so. Got it. Good. The girl's not bad looking. Go to work. You think she knows how to kill me? Yes. Margaret? Yeah? You got that memo? Any minute now. Margaret? Yeah? What the hell are you doing? Well, I'm typing, Leo. Margaret! Apparently, your response to Donna's perfectly legitimate concern about the White House not supporting OSHA's recommendation regarding repetitive stress injuries was typed slower. Donna has organized most of the assistants in the West Wing to do just that. Margaret? Yeah? Look at my face right now. Okay. Leo, can you keep your people in line? Well, there's been no evidence of it so far. Listen. Inside. Can I have this muffin? Listen. Can I have this muffin? I, was... I think that you'll discover that the sharpest of closing remarks will be blunted by asking for a muffin. And with our initial stuff out of the way, let's move on to the plot of this particular episode and our first clip where CJ briefs the press 
about a visit from a Ukrainian leader and fields a question about a lame duck session to ratify a treaty. That starts a discussion in the staff about the possibility of actually doing so. Leo begins to streamline how things work around the office. CJ leaks the lame duck possibility to Danny. Charlie tells Josh that the Ukrainian leader's antics are embarrassing the White House. And Ainsley agrees to help Sam streamline a position paper if she can go with him to meetings on the Hill. No, I want to be very clear about this. Mr. Kononoff, while he's here in Washington, is not meeting with the Secretary of State or any cabinet-level official for that matter. He's not meeting with the U.N. ambassador or any senior aides representing NATO allies, and he's certainly not meeting with the president. He will be coming to the White House to meet with some of the president's advisors in the Balkans. Who's next? CJ, Senator-elect Morgan Mitchell is going to announce on hardball later today that he'll seek a seat on the Foreign Relations Committee, and that he'll block a vote on the test ban treaty and prevent him from coming to the floor. Yeah. Any thoughts? We'll have a ratified comprehensive test ban treaty. Danny. Has the president considered ordering a lame duck session so the current Senate can vote on the treaty? Okay, anybody but Danny? CJ. No. He hasn't considered it. Danny, I don't know every thought that passes through the president's head, but there have been no discussions. That you're aware of? That I'm aware of. So there's a seat open on foreign relations. It doesn't mean Morgan Mitchell's going to get it, right? Yes, it does. Why? Because nobody else is going to want it. Why? Because there's no money in it. Senate Foreign Relations Committee has no control over money, so there's no lobbyists, which means there are no fundraisers. The Constitution says under extraordinary circumstances. It's a treaty that's vital to national and global security. What kind of extraordinary circumstances do you have in mind? These people are... even studying this. Do you think we have less of a chance with the new Congress? I think we have no chance with the new Congress. Mr. President, we have a better chance of winning now than a month from now. Not only that... Sam. Sorry. Toby. Not only that, but here's what CJ can tell the press. The world is looking to the U.S. to ratify the treaty first. The longer we wait, the longer it takes other countries to ratify, the closer we get to, to more unstable countries like Pakistan developing a nuclear threat. Arguments against? We might lose the vote. That'll hang around our necks for two years. The Senate will be pissed off. That might stall confirmation. And can I just add that a senator-elect announcing what committee assignment he'd like is not, is not what the founders would have considered an extraordinary occasion. An extraordinary occasion is whatever the president says it is. Real. Look, even when they're here in session, trying to get 100 senators in a line is still like trying to get cats to walk in a parade. What do you want to do? Let's take the leadership's temperature in the lame duck session. Let's also get some kind of nose count and see where we are. So new rules. You need an answer from the president, you want to brief him. You want him to weigh in. I want to see a summary on my desk, absolutely no longer than two pages, and I want my initials on it before you go into the Oval Office. They are. Two-page summer is going to kind of cramp our style, isn't it? Your style could use a little cramping. Are we understood? Yes, fine. Toby, Sam, take some meetings on the Hill today. Toby, concentrate on votes that can be loosened with Stenson gone. Sam, dangle reservations in front of him. CJ, start the leak. Oh, anybody happens to see Vasily Conan off in the hallways, walk in the other direction. Yeah, that's it. So you guys are considering a lame duck session. Who says? You just want to call the majority leader's office. Can I say White House senior aides? No. High-level sources inside the White House? Certain sources inside the White House Office of Legislative Liaisons who declined to be named. Sounds like I got it from somebody's paper, boy. Take it or leave it. I'll take it. Anything else? No. Thank you. Josh? Hang on, Charlie. No, I don't think this can wait. What? Vasily Kononov is here. I can't see him, Charlie. Make sure he's not in the bullpen. He's not. Good. He's in the driveway. What do you mean? He's sitting in the car on the driveway. He's refusing to get out unless he can speak to the president. This is a joke? No. He's sitting in the driveway? Josh, they're saying, you know... They're saying he's drunk. I have a position recommendation for the president regarding an amendment to a Congress bill. The memo is 22 pages long and Leo's on a streamlining kick. You want me to summarize your recommendation and give it to the president? Yeah, then I want you to skip to Tijuana in a dirndl skirt. Sam. Summarize and you give it to me. 
In exchange for? No. And my schedule's pretty tight. In exchange for what? You're going to the Hill? Yes. To take meetings on the test ban treaty? Yes. I want to go. No. Why? Because. Oh. Ansley. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to spill anything. I'm not going to get Republican juice on you. I'm just going to sit there and learn. Look. From the master, Sam. I want to learn from the master. You see, women think that kind of thing works, but it doesn't. It really does, Sam. I let you come to the Hill, you'll summarize my memo. I'll use punctuation and everything. You might even get extra credit. Ansley, meet me in the lobby in an hour. Okay. It's funny because usually the issues of the day make me more interested in episodes than these particular issues for this episode did. Um, I mean, there's funny bits, of course, throughout the whole sequence here of this first clip. But I have to admit that the whole bit about a lame duck Congress and, and basically meetings to have meetings you know, meetings to plan how to have more meetings uh, to decide how to set up things. That just really didn't get me going in the first part of the episode. And the issue itself of of the treaty, um, you know, because it's so bland and all they do is put numbers about people being for it or against it, um, they didn't really dig into that issue. So I never really invested in whether, you know, who I should be rooting for on this is- issue. Uh, to be perfectly honest, except for the fact that our main heroes won it. I just didn't find the issue all that engaging, and especially heightened by the fact that there there were so many walk and talks in this first sequence. You feel like there's really nobody at their desk actually working, ever. And, and it's kind of dizzying. Sometimes I think when the story elements aren't quite as strong than a director or the writers will go to having these walk and talks to try and keep the episode exciting. But sometimes I think the walk and talks are a little overdone. Um, I know that there were at least four within the, this clip section alone, and that's just a little bit too much, uh, for me. Uh, it kind of distracted me from what they were talking about sometimes. And again, I kept thinking, you know, does anybody actually sit and do any work or do they just walk around talking about stuff without really getting anything resolved? One thing that I did love though, was the chemistry between Sam and Ainsley. I mean, there are, there are great bits between them throughout the whole episode to me. And and maybe some of it is slightly cliche, but I, I still enjoyed them quite a bit. There is one thing that happens with these two that, uh, I know I could never aspire to be at their level, and that's how fast they think on their feet uh, to bring the sarcasm, which is great entertaining, you know, entertainment-wise. I'm not exactly sure how realistic it is because I, I don't know two people that can jab at each other that quickly. Um, but that's kind of a Sorkin thing, so that's not really a big deal. And there's always a lot of stuff that I have to cut uh, from our clips. Uh a couple of them do ring out a little bit later in the episode. Like the beginning, I cut this out, but the beginning where uh, CJ and Danny are, are talking before she leaks the story to him, um, you know, she gets on him about the editorial stuff. And Danny basically says, what are you going to do? Cancel my subscription, which of course is exactly what Bartlett says he'll do later in the episode. Um, also, just the bit about why they needed the streamlining 
was made very apparent in parts that I didn't include in this. And some of that came from one of those editorials that seemingly got CJ all worked up. Um, but I, again, you get a lot of that stuff in, in the walk and talk and in the quick jab. So I didn't feel the need to include it really in the clip itself. I do feel like Leo's job is more of an equivalent to herding cats than running a country sometimes. So him being compared to a substitute teacher uh, may not have been that far off the mark. And uh, another part that I didn't include was Toby's speech about, you know, trying to get something done for the president today. I just want to comment on that to, to say that by the tone of Toby's voice and everything, it seems like he doesn't feel like they've had a whole lot of success lately. Um, and that's kind of discouraging uh, for the White House, I suppose. Now, as far as the whole Boris and Natasha stuff, which that's what Josh will call them in the next clip about uh, this Kovanov guy just sitting out in the driveway. Um, I'll save some more comments for that. I, I, I just the one thing that I don't understand is evidently this guy is not in power yet. It's just a chance that he will be. And he's basically using the White House as leverage in order to probably get himself into power in a way. You know, the whole reason he wants to be there is, as uh, Bartlett says at the end, is so that he can say that he met with the president. But that just doesn't seem like, if if that's your goal, if your real goal is that, would you really want to show up at the White House drunk and, and making this big fuss? out in front of in, in front of the White House in the driveway. Uh, it doesn't seem very logical to me. And I, I don't know if that was supposed to, like, somehow vilify or, or stupefy this particular leader, but uh, I would think that anybody who was going to be able to have enough charisma to lead a country uh, would also have at least enough clarity to not do something like that. So I was a little put off by that. And I guess that's it for this particular clip. So let's move on to clip two, where Josh has to handle Komanov. Uh, Toby gets discouraging information from Fox and Fowler about the vote and asks Leo to set up a meeting with a Senator Marino. CJ objects to giving Danny access for a feature. And Sam and Ainsley go to the Hill for meetings. Vasily Komanov is in the driveway. He's drunk. And he won't get out of the car until he speaks to the president. Have you spoken to him? I'm not allowed to speak to him. I walked by the car a couple times to see what was what. Leo, we got to move him. Tourists are going to start to ask questions, and Boris and Natasha are going to answer them. You now have permission to talk to him. Put him in an office, try him out, and explain why he can't see the president. Good. The rumor's been getting around like a virus. Is it more than a rumor? We don't know yet. Toby. But I want to talk about if he should. Well, our guy's not going to vote to ratify. Why not? Same reason he wouldn't before. We didn't have a vote before. Because you knew you'd lose. That's right. What, what, what are you saying? I'm saying what if there was a vote now without Stenson breathing well, Stenson down his wasn't what was Joe? Keeping, Stenson wasn't what was keeping us from voting for it. Bob, have you checked your backyard? <sighs> what? Have you checked your backyard? What are you? In the nose count, Toby. I don't think you have the votes you think you have. Danny Kincannon wants access for a three-part feature. No. No, what? No, he can't have access. CJ. He can't have access. Leo, his editorial staff just jumped up and down on your head yesterday and last Thursday and the president twice before that. Four times in two weeks. That's why everybody's walking around with a stopwatch. He gets no milk and cookies. Talk to the president at the end of the day. You'll Leo. get another two minutes. We lost one of our people. Who? 
They wouldn't tell me. Leo, I need you to... Fox and Fowler. Fox and Fowler wouldn't tell me who we lost. They just said to check our backyard. Who the hell? I don't know, which is why I need to talk to Marino. It's not hard enough getting new votes. We got to corral the... I need you to talk to Marino. I need you to call him and set up a meeting with me. He needs to tell me who jumped the fence. He needs to help us bring him back. I set up this meeting. And what's your pitch? That this treaty he wants him back can happen. Not only that, but he can stick it to every Pennsylvania voter who put him out of a job and take Mitchell's knees out before he has time to put his pencils in a jar. Plus, who did we lose? I don't know who we lost. He'll know. Toby. Leo. He's been out of town for a month and a half. He'll know. Leo, if it was anything less important than a test ban treaty, I wouldn't. Margaret! Thank you. Mr. Kornoff, please understand. There's protocol. Your government has a leader we deal with. You wish to deal with me? We do wish to deal with you, but right now, President Shevchuk is You've the... called my embassy. We're in touch with the embassy as well as the capital. We're seeking permission to have you speak with Secretary Shevchuk. I wish to speak to the president. Now, that's not going to happen, and you damn well know it. You speak to him in this tone. He's drunk in my office, and I will speak to him in whatever tone pleases me. Donna! Put two uniformed agents outside my door. Tell Leo I'm coming over. Yeah. Oh, how I miss the Cold War. 31 Nobel laureates, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, 150 countries on this planet, and 82% of the people living in this one say the treaty makes the world a safer place. It's not a safer place if North Korea and Iran are making significant technological improvements while the president's handing out commemorative pens. You can't tell me that the chance we take with our ability to verify is not weighed by the chance we take doing nothing at all. I've heard all this. Right, and I'm here to ask you this. Yeah. I'm here to ask you this. Is there no room for movement? We consider attaching reservations. You wasted a trip. I'll waste more of them. We're done? Yeah. Ainsley, I'm surprised to see you here. Why? Well, before you're on Bartlett's payroll, old you were a pretty vocal opponent of the treaty. Well, it's President Bartlett. I'm on the government payroll. And I believe that politics should stop at the water's edge. Okay. See, I don't think you think the treaty's bad. I don't think you think it's good. I think you want to beat the White House. Yes. You're a schmuck, Peter. Today, tomorrow, next year, next term, these guys will have the treaty ratified and they'll do it without the reservations he just offered to discuss with you. Can I take this muffin? Yeah. And again, now we're way into the episode and I'm still just really not feeling all that engaged with the issues that are at hand. I mean, some of it was kind of funny, but the whole Boris and Natasha thing just feels like kind of filler between scenes for the Sam and Ainsley show and to get us to that Marino meeting, which is really the only compelling aspect of the whole treaty story to me at all is the Marino meeting. And we're not there yet. And I'm just kind of like sitting here pretty bored. I I suppose that the reveal as to why CJ is so mad about Danny uh, is kind of set up okay throughout the episode in retrospect. But all that this anger that you have from CJ seems to come out of nowhere, really, uh, until it's explained. And then it makes sense, but um, it's a little bit too misleading and a little bit too jarring for me. Plus, I'm not even really digging this charge that Toby is leading. I mean, I'm not feeling any of the pain or the anger or the frustration in regards to his talk with with Fox and Fowler or his talk with uh, Leo, um, Toby's just not all that engaging to me either. He seems just frustrated and like he's just about to give up before he even starts. Um, I'm usually in Toby's corner 
on everything, but uh, I'm just not feeling him right now. As I said, though, I am still engaged with the Sam and Ainsley show. That more or less kind of saves the episode for me, especially to this point. And one thing it does do that everyone knows, and even everyone says, except for politicians themselves, our, our modern political climate is much more about winning than actually getting anything done, I think is the way a lot of people feel about politics today. And maybe that's another reason why I'm not as engaged in these issues because it just brings up more of me questioning why try to get this done at all for this White House. Um, Maybe I'm a little bit too apathetic about the political system right now, uh, personally, but um, I can just say that watching it, you know, I should be engaged in this kind of an issue. I should be thinking about something as as weighty as a test ban treaty, but instead all I can think about is, yeah, the Republicans want to beat the Democrats, um, and the Democrats want to figure out a way to, to wiggle this in. You know, it's all about the boring side of politics to me, I guess. So I, I guess I could say that while I love that Ainsley's pointing out the obviousness of these political battles today, um, it did kind of bring me down as well. Of course, you do get things saved with with the food gag that Ainsley does throughout the whole episode. The muffin saved this one. That's another thing I had to cut out earlier was her talking about her, you know, having already eaten her lunch and everything. But the food gag ran throughout the whole episode. And I was surprised that it worked for me throughout the whole episode. Um, it was one of those things that Sorkin just wouldn't let up about Ainsley. And you would think that that would get old. But for me, for whatever, whatever reason, uh, it worked at least to a certain point. It's just it's so left field. It doesn't seem like it, it would work, but it did. And that's all I have for that clip. So let's move on to clip three. Leo comes up with a plan regarding Kovanov, and Josh asks Donna to help him out with that. Sam finds out that CJ is mad at the Washington Post and that Ainsley has actually reversed his position on the paper that she streamlined for him. Toby finds out from Marino that Marino is the one who the Democrats lost, and Ainsley convinces Sam to go with her idea. What's going on? Well, I got the man who came to dinner in my office. I'm begging the Ukrainian embassy for help. If I don't get some soon, I'm going to apply for a job at the Ukrainian embassy. No, here's what we're going to do. All this guy wants is to be able to say he met the president while he was here. He can't meet the president. He can meet the president accidentally. How do you meet the president accidentally? When I was labor secretary, we did it with the Dalai Lama. Obviously, Beijing doesn't want the president to have any diplomatic contact. So they arrange a low-level meeting. Keep the door open. The president wanders by. Hey, how you doing, Dalai Lama? Well, that's the most crazy-ass thing I've ever heard. It works. This is how the world is run? Yeah. I'm sticking to domestic policy. Yeah, because that has the ring of sanity to it. Is Toby meeting with Marino? Toby's on a mission. Congress and the White House are exempt. Get past it. What do you mean? I need Vasily Kononov to meet with someone of absolutely no consequence. You're my girl. What the hell are you... I need you to meet with Vasily Kononov. Why? So the president can drop in and interrupt you. Are you kidding me? No. So I'm a beard? Yes. I'm being used? Yes. As a dupe? Yes. How am I supposed to feel about that? How do you usually feel about that? Josh. Donna. 
My value here is that I have no value. You have enormous value to me. You have no value to Eastern Europe. Roanoke, maybe even Grace, I think they're gonna vote for it anyway. Why? Because Tony Marino's gonna tell them to. I just named three senators that can't get reelected without labor, and Marino may be out of a job. He's still gonna swing a big bat with the union. So he's meeting with him right now. Good. Do you think I should give Dan Kincannon access for a feature? Yes. You're wrong. Okay. You should. Why? He's cute. I'm leaving. Do you have my two-page summary? I'm sorry? Do you have my two-page summary? Yes. Could I have it? Yes. You reversed my position? Yeah. I gave this to you to summarize, and you didn't summarize it so much as you reversed my position. I gave it a little polish, yeah. You reversed my position. It's shorter. It is shorter, and you reversed my position. Your position was wrong. Could you step inside, please? Sure. The president's thinking about calling a session. Yeah. You heard? Yeah, it was well leaked. I had a meeting at lunch with Joe Fox and Bob Fowler, and they said we may have lost one of our guys. And I wanted to find out if it was true, who was it, and is it important? It's true, and it couldn't be less important. Who was it? It was me, Toby. Tony, I don't understand. <laughs> you changed your mind no. on the... I don't... No, I haven't changed my mind. And I'll do whatever the White House wants in terms of spade work. If you call a session now, I can't vote for it. Senator... I'm going to talk to Newberry about saying where he is and stopping Domino's. Senator, there's no reason why you They can't... voted me out, Toby, largely based on my support of the Comprehensive Death Ban Treaty. Only because Mitchell painted him a picture. Well, that's not for me to say. And I'm going to choose not to assume that my constituents feel a certain way because they were duped. Senator, nobody expects... You're not, you're not expecting... Nobody to... expects... Nobody expects. Toby, it seems to me that more and more we've come to expect less and less from each other, and I think that should change. I'm a senator for another 10 weeks, and I'm going to choose to respect these people and what they want. You call a lame duck session now, and I've got to abstain. One third of all small businesses lose money and fail, not because of rent hikes or big chains squeezing them out, but because of why? Employee fraud. That's right. Yes. What do you say to that? You reversed my position. Other than that, Sam, other than what you've been saying for the last hour and a half. I can't believe I'm listening to a Republican tell me the government should run background checks and impede business. In fact, I can't believe I'm listening to a Republican. Could it possibly be that most of the people you want to fingerprint have darker skin than you do? Well, not to let the facts interfere with a good story, but 80% of violators are white. Fraudulent employees are three times more likely to be married. They're four times more likely to be men, 16 times more likely to be managers and executives. And guess what, Professor? They're five times more likely to have postgraduate degrees. You listen, I, you know, I can't. All right. Start from the beginning. Really? Yeah. Are you eating that donut? Take the donut. Start from the beginning. Again, there's lots of subtle things that go on throughout the whole episode that I've cut out in a, one part or another. The whole Rogue Nations thing, uh, Donna's repetitive injuries crusade. Um, but I did find the fraud prevention stuff pretty interesting because Sam and Ainsley basically are the most interesting storyline of this episode. And therefore, I, I did include a lot of that stuff here. And again, the more they piled on the food gag, to me, the better it got. Like I said, it really shouldn't have, but it did. And uh, the one thing that you can really pull from this, and whatever facts and figures they're throwing around, um, I like that, you know, even though Sam is still really mad that Ainsley reversed his position, that he finally gets to a place where he can actually listen to what she's saying. Uh, I think that that says a lot about Sam. Um, rather than him just, you know, kicking her out of the office and then trying to streamline it himself. 
And the one good thing about the lame duck session of the storyline that, that got to me, got me engaged, was this conversation between Marino and Toby. And, and apart from the Toby and, and Leo scene that I did cut out, I shortened it, um, Leo kind of had already kind of called it that Marino might not want to be involved. And I don't know if that meant that Leo knew already or not, but uh, he w- went ahead and set up the meeting. I think he would have just told Toby if he knew. Um, so, but he was already leaning that way. And, and let's face it, Leo doesn't feel so good about calling this lame duck session himself. Uh, as he said, it's an ethically gray area for him. So because that portion with Leo and Toby came before this Marino talk, then that kind of strengthened my feelings for Marino when he takes a stand here and says, that he won't vote against the people who voted him out because of this issue. Um, it, it makes you admire Marino for, for, I guess, honoring the people's vote. Although, you know, there is that whole debate as to the fact that we get, we elect people to make decisions for us rather than we elect the decisions. And, uh, you, you know, you can fall on either side of that argument. But it, it, that this whole aspect of it, uh, basically encapsulated by Marino, uh, really saved that issue for me. And it wasn't so much about the treaty itself, which I wish it would have been, uh, but it was much more about, you know, just should the White House exercise that kind of power, which is kind of interesting. And Leo, since he's on his game here, uh, you know, kind of prefacing us for the Marino thing, uh, he also gets the whole Boris and Natasha thing kind of solved uh and that way they could tie it into donna's quest as well so they did a lot of good of tying up these individual things um because donna's thing just seemed pointless uh for a long while um but it it ended up working so so that that helped to arrange that meeting with uh kovanov so uh, the president could wander in accidentally later on and that little bit with, with Sam and, and CJ and Ainsley, where CJ's uh, ragging on letting Danny do the feature. On a first watch, again, I would think you would just be asking, why is CJ so mad at the Post for these editorials when I'm sure it's not the first ones they've written and it would, should just bounce right off of her. But we're about to get the why of that in the next clip. So let's move on to that, where CJ tries to convince the president to not allow Danny access, but is overruled. Bartlett then meets with Kovanoff accidentally, quote unquote, and Sam gets Ainsley's idea approved by Leo. We have to stop being a punching bag and they need a wake up call. It's going to look petty and petulant. You know why? Sir? Because it's petty and petulant. Nobody elected this newspaper, certainly not the 48 million people who chose you to be president. Yeah, but not having to run for anything tends to help with honesty and decisiveness. Thanks, Charlie. Send Danny in, would you please? Yes, sir. Mr. President, you have to send them a message. I really don't, CJ. Is this personal? Excuse me? I hear things. I don't understand most of it, but I hear it. No, sir. It's absolutely not personal. He's a great reporter, and you're a great press secretary, and that's why it wasn't going to work as long as the two of you had those jobs. Sir, I... Hey, Danny. Good evening, Mr. President. Danny, I think you guys have had your heads up your asses for the last few weeks. I hope you don't mind me saying so. Of course not, Mr. President. Not only that, but I think you've been trying to bait me, which is a waste of time, paper, and ink. 
I'm like 50 times smarter than any of you will ever hope to be. I've got an election to win in two years, and I'm not about to alienate the Washington Post. Yes, sir. I'll tell you what I will do, though. I'm canceling our subscription. Excellent, sir. The White House buys 1,100 copies of the Post every day. Canceling that subscription should send a message loud and clear. No, I meant just mine and Abby's. I'll borrow a copy from somebody. Mr. President? Yeah. Take it easy, Danny. CJ, I'll give you all the access you want. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. President. I gotta go tell Circulation we lost $32.95. I know about the job offer. I figured. Known about it for a couple of days. Yeah. You don't want to be an editor? I'm a White House reporter. I know, I just thought by taking a job outside the press room. CJ, I have no problem with a reporter dating the press secretary. Well, I have a problem, so... Yeah. Okay. I'll see you later. Forcing the wrist to absorb the added stress. What in hell is this woman talking about? Sir, I'm talking about my government's unwillingness to. Vasily? Vasily Koninov. Why, you're the last person I expected to be where they told me to go. Mr. President. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, gentlemen. What the hell are you doing? Mr. President, I would like to talk to you about commercial lending rights. I would like to talk to you about the World Trade Organization, and I would like to talk to you about nuclear compatibility. I'm not the Transportation Secretary. You will join the WTO when you reduce the 300% tariff on American cars, and with a nuclear weapon pointed at my head, I will not talk to you about nuclear compatibility. Mr. President. Silly, you're a reformer, and you're going to do good things in Eastern Europe, and I'm looking forward to the day when you're president. But until that day comes, my State Department deals with the government of the Ukraine. Now you can go home and do exactly what you wanted to do, which is say you've met with the President of the United States. Dr. Shivago is out of here. Good. What do you have? The Commerce Department wants us to back an amendment to a bill that would help small businesses with fraud prevention and employee theft. We want to recommend it. You have numbers? Yeah. yeah it's going to help us out when we want to raise the minimum wage. It's the small business owners who are most opposed to wage hikes. You weren't going to go the other way on this? Yeah, I was. You got turned around? Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks. Thanks. Hang on, I wanted to... Thank you, Leo. That was it? Yeah. That was it? Yeah. I don't understand. You don't understand what? What just happened. Leo said yes, we're in. I was just talking, Sam. I was just talking to you. Well, we play with live ammo around here. You convinced me, I convinced Leo, Leo convinced the president. And so because I said this in here, the president in there is going to... got to tell me when that's going to happen. Is this how you guys decide to go to war? I don't know. I'm usually not in the room when they do that. Sam. Could somebody get her a cupcake or something? Sam. So here is a bit of an explanation about CJ and her problem with the post. Uh, It's really about her wishing that Danny would have taken that editorial position so that she could feel okay about dating him. And there's even a part of me that thinks that all of this blame directed towards the editorial staff um, and trying to get Danny rejected because of editorial reasons is to get more people in the editorial staff in trouble so that, you know, Danny ultimately has to take the position just because they have a real need for it. It's not that she's actually mad at them. She's just kind of mad at Danny for his decision to not take the position in the first place. And that's basically why we get the whole retaliatory thing. 
The truth of the matter is, and I'll have to include my evidence of this in the spoiler section, but I think as long as CJ holds any position in the White House, it would have to be Danny to change jobs and not her. Like, even if she moved to a different position in the White House, she still couldn't date Danny because Danny would still be a reporter and she would still have to lie to Danny, uh, possibly, because he is a reporter, about things going on in the White House. And I I feel like CJ just feels like she just can't have a romantic relationship with anyone if she has to lie to the person about what's going on in her profession. I just feel like that that's why this is such a stickler for her because obviously Danny doesn't have any problem with it. And I think that we've seen that Danny could be uh, very respectful of the kind of problem she's in. But as Bartlett points out, it was never going to work out as long as she's press secretary and and he's a white house reporter. Um, At any rate, despite all of her protests, Bartlett sets her straight, and that was a funny bit. In fact, that was the best Bartlett bit in the whole episode. Um, But there is something that Bartlett says that maybe I should make a little spoiler comment about as well. So we'll talk more about that um, after the end music. Uh, Speaking of Bartlett, this meeting with uh, Kovanov was a lot of attempted comedy that really led essentially to nothing. I mean, the Boris Natasha thing turned out to be pretty much just wasted time in this episode to me. I I just don't feel that there there was any need to go through all of these machinations other than to try and make a gag. And, and it really just didn't work for me. In fact, the funniest part was probably when uh, his security attache uh, was so freaked out by the president after everybody else she's so unimpressed with. Um, That was probably the best part of it. And in this particular scene, or in this particular clip, uh, which is really the second to the last scene, you also get a really nice wrap-up of the Sam and Ainsley stuff, uh, which ends things on a much better note uh, as far as most of the episode goes. I don't have a whole lot to say about it, except after you consider everything that's happened to Ainsley since we've gotten to know her, this really feels like the moment where she has arrived, so to speak, where she herself feels like she's become part of the family. She realizes it herself, too. And and that circular shot um, of the offices, you know, the camera pans all the way around 360 and back to her. That was a really nice shot, uh, especially accentuated by Snuffy's great score underneath it. But it it just kind of gave you that feeling that that Ainsley feels like she's just really arrived. And and we feel like she's arrived, too. And I thought that that was was nicely done, shot-wise. And that's it for that clip. So let's move on to the last one, which is really just essentially the last little scene where Bartlett kind of does his weekly moral of the story thing, this time with Toby. Mr. President. Yeah. Toby's here. Thanks. You can take off for the night, Charlie. We're done. Thank you, Mr. President. Good evening, sir. Tony Marino is going to abstain, huh? Yeah. He was a great public servant, Toby. A great senator. Didn't Edmund Burke say that a representative owes not just his industry, but his judgment? And betrays you if he sacrifices his judgment to yours. Yeah. 
and then he was voted out of office five years later by the people of Bristol. That's not the point, sir. I know. The fact is, the opponents of the treaty on both sides of the aisle, you've got to respect them, Toby. They're politicians, and they're flying in the face of overwhelming public opinion. I have to respect senators for defying 82% of the American people. Can I tell you something honestly? This is one of those situations I could give a damn what the people think. The complexities of a global arms treaty, the technological, military, the diplomatic nuance, it's staggering, Toby. 82% of the people can't possibly be expected to reach an informed opinion. You want to call a session anyway? No. No. <clears throat> if we lose and we will, we cut off. Yeah. Anything else? No, sir. Thank you, Mr. President. You know, we forget sometimes. In all the talk about democracy, we forget it's not a democracy, it's a republic. People don't make the decisions, they choose the people who make the decisions. Could they do a better job choosing? Yeah. When you consider the alternatives... Anyway, Abby's in New Hampshire. You want to come up for a cigar? The day's over, Toby. We'll live to fight another one. Come on up, I'll beat your ass at chess. You betting me, Mr. President? Yes. <clears throat> okay. If anybody's out there, I'm signing off. Have a good night. I don't know what else to say except that this is just another Bartlett scene at the end of an episode saying, it's okay, folks, it's okay. Which kind of really tells me that probably Bartlett didn't have any hopes of this actually being doable in the first place, like he had told Leo in the beginning of the episode. There's part of this whole moral of the story thing or the pat on the back thing that really kind of bothers me about the formula. I I know that's Sorkin-esque. And I shouldn't complain about it, but it, it it is something that wears on me uh, when I watch, especially several episodes in a row. Um, not so much on a week-to-week basis, I don't guess. But uh, if you watch several Sorkin episodes of anything, Newsroom, West Wing, Sports Night, uh, sometimes the formula, certain aspects of the formula wear on you a little bit. I did feel Toby's frustration, I guess, a little bit in this scene, but, you know, evidently it's nothing a game of chess can't cure, right? I mean, come on. Jeez. Um, Needless to say, I wasn't as impressed by this particular scene as I was by the Sam and Ainsley story, which, again, I'll maintain was really the only thing that kept me interested in the episode at all. And that'll bring us to our rating, which is next. And if you go to sorkincast.wordpress.com, our website, you will find a special 10-point grading scale that I use to give my episodes a grade. And I'm going to go 6.9 on this episode. There were just too many walk-and-talks. There were too many circular shots. The one on Ainsley was nice. The second one in the West Wing or in the Oval Office uh, was too much. And... Sometimes, like I mentioned before, I I think sometimes directors have to strive for visual things in order to keep 
the episode flowing in any kind of way. But for me, this time around, it just didn't really work. It, the story was not engaging, and the visual tricks felt a little disruptive. Now, as far as the acting for everybody, I thought that was all fine. Uh, I loved, like I said, I loved the chemistry between Sam and Ainsley. That was great. But that was really about it, because the humor was pretty much hit and miss, for the most part, kind of just old gags. Um, the only real humor that worked for me was the food. And that's pretty much it for this week's episode. I will have spoiler comments after the end music, but I do want to remind you uh, that next week we'll be watching Season 2, Episode 7, The Portland Trip, and you can contact the podcast with any thoughts about any of the first 11 episodes. If you do so before Tuesday, April 19th, it'll be included in our next feedback podcast how do you submit the feedback? You send an email to sorkincast at gmail.com or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line 314-669-1840 or you can tweet at Sorkincast on Twitter. And don't forget about those Season 2 West Wing Awards also. Start thinking about those. Uh, favorite and least favorite episode, scene, main character, and guest star for the all of Season 2. That's it. You can find all of this information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. And if you're not sticking around for the spoilers, which will be through the end of the series, um, then we'll see you next time. Take care. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkincast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network. The end music is over and you are still here. Therefore, I must assume that you have watched all of The West Wing, all seven seasons. If you have not, then this is your last chance to turn away. Turn away! Turn away! No? Okay. Now, really, I am not. don't have a whole lot to say about all of this. Um, but one thing that I wanted to point out about Bartlett is that here... He tells Danny that he has an election to win in two years and he's not about to alienate the Washington Post. But the truth is, as we know as rewatchers, he actually hasn't decided if he's even going to run yet. That becomes the big thing at the end of season two. Um, and, and it's most important that he hasn't told Abby yet that he's decided to run because Abby still thinks he's going by the promise that he would only work one term. Right. He's not he's not there yet in terms of convincing Abby that he can run uh, an, another term because he didn't think he was going to get there here in the first place. He thought he was just going to get his voice heard a little bit. And then he, you know, then he got the nomination and then he won the election. And so here he is. So he had promised Abby that he would only run uh, one term, which we've talked about all of this before. That's partly why 
Vice President Hoynes is working so hard to set himself up for the next election. And, um, you know, there's a whole bevy of things that are about to hit the fan the second half of season two and into season three for sure. So uh, just wanted to point that out. And it's not clear to me. I mean, he says that Toby or he tells Toby that Abby's in New Hampshire. Would he have said something like that to anyone about planning to run in two years if Abby was around? Is this something just some kind of front that he puts on that Abby knows about? Those are questions that we never really got answers to. Because the last thing you want to do is tell a reporter you're going to run in two years and have that reporter report it, you know, even though it's probably assumed that if you're an incumbent at finishing your first term, you're probably going to run for a second. But there has obviously been precedents where people did not. Uh, Johnson and and such. Um, Johnson wasn't voted out. He just decided not to run. So there's there's that. Um the other thing that comes out of that scene with CJ and Danny is that uh, I mentioned that it wouldn't matter what job CJ had in the white house. Uh, even when she gets, uh, raised to the level of chief of staff after Leo's heart attack, she, uh, still, um, really kind of has, has only had kind of flirtatious stuff with Danny, uh, all through the course, through that, through to that sixth season. She never really, gets a hold of Danny. And of course we see at the very beginning of season seven, when they're building, you know, when they're dedicating the, the Bartlett library and their term has been long over that they are together. So obviously they get together, um, a lot closer together, uh, after Bartlett's term. And I guess eventually get married as well, or it seems like they're married. They're very much together. If they're not married, I think they're married. It's been a long time since I've watched season seven. So I'm looking forward to being able to correct myself somewhere further, way further down the line in this podcast. Lots of shows to cover. We still haven't even touched on any of the other shows. We're only on season two of The West Wing. Wow. I've got a lot of episodes of this podcast coming ahead of me. Anyway, my point is, is that CJ doesn't matter what position she was working in the White House. She would never date a reporter at all. I don't think. Um, oh, not a White House reporter anyway. I don't know if she'd report date any reporter. Um, because I get this feeling that, you know, for CJ, we, we see these struggles about integrity and stuff and, and how she's had problems about lying to the press before and how people have called her on that. Now she can handle that. But that's on a professional level. And I get the distinct impression um, from like CJ's involvement with the Secret Service agent guy and everything that she can't really separate the professional from the personal. Like if she's going to date a reporter, then she has to be able to date him because she has nothing that he can report on, if you know what I mean. And I guess that's all I have to say for this particular episode. Thanks for listening to my spoiler ramblings and we'll see you next week with the Portland trip. Take care.